Hey, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode, I just want to point out a few ways in which you can work with us here at How to SaaS. Number one, if you're an investor and you're in the middle of a transaction and you want to figure out what is the marketing potential of the target investment that I'm looking at, you can engage with us in a due diligence engagement where within two weeks, we can give you a very clear picture of all the levers within the marketing function of that organization and how you can scale budget up and down and find efficiencies and make the overall marketing function far more mature. Number two, if you're a founder, a CEO, an operator, or even an, an investor, and you have a company where marketing is just under leveraged and you see it as a growth lever for your business to take it to the next level, you can engage with us in a three to four month engagement where we do a deep dive and look at all the possible areas where marketing can make a bigger impact on the organization and come back with a detailed set of recommendations across demand gen, paid media, ABM, uh, content marketing, product marketing, SEO, you name it and come back with a full set of recommendations, your entire new org design to support those recommendations and overall budget recommendations for the business. And number three, if you have a particular business where maybe your VP of marketing was recently transitioned out, maybe they left for another job, maybe you don't have a CMO but are thinking about hiring one, well, we can fill that gap within your organization with part-time CMO services. And we do this on a month-to-month -month retainer, which can last anywhere between three months to 12 months, depending on what your needs are. And we can help set the foundation for the company and help you hire your next CMO and help onboard them into the role so that when they come in, into the organization, they get a running start and they're able to make an impact on revenue right away. And you don't have to wait to find the right person to get going with all your marketing initiatives. So those are all the ways. If you want to learn more, go to www.howtosass.com and schedule a consult and we can go from there. And now on to the episode. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Private Equity Value Creation Podcast, where we interview leading investors, operators, bankers, and advisors to help you answer one question. How do we increase the enterprise value of our companies? My name is Shiv Narayanan, and each episode, I will dive deep with a guest to help you become a better value creator and capital allocator. So with that said, let's jump right in and let's get started with today's episode. I'm super excited for our guest today. His name is Mike Devine. Fortra is one of the largest cybersecurity companies in the world. Uh, we've had the pleasure of having them as our clients for the last four years or so. Um, and in that time, we've seen their journey from being about roughly $150 million company to north of $800 million as they've tucked in and bolted on tons of acquisitions and built a platform company in the process. And so I was super excited to bring Mike on to share that journey and talk about what it takes to build a platform company from the ground up as the marketing leader. We get really deep into processes and systems and people and integrations and, and rebranding and, and the different projects that it takes to build an organization like that. And Mike is uh, kind enough to go into detail about how all of that has unfolded at Fortra over time as they've evolved in their journey and, and added on more and more companies. So it's a super insightful conversation if you are a operating partner or an investor or, or just an operator in general and you're trying to figure this out for yourself, there's a ton of great takeaways uh, to learn from and, and, and see from Mike's expertise and, and experience. So with that said, let's jump right in. Enjoy the episode. All right, Mike, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Doing great, Shiv. How are you? Good. Thanks for being on. Super excited to have you. Obviously, you've been clients of ours for many years. So 
I'm really looking forward to this conversation and for the audience to learn from all the great things that you've been up at, up to at Fortra. So why don't we start with giving the audience an introduction about you and the, and the business and we'll go from there. That sounds good. Uh, good to be here. Um, it's kind of a nice activity on a Friday, Shiv, in summer, right? I like yep. it. Um, yeah, so I head up marketing for Fortra. Uh, Fortra is a cybersecurity software and services company. So, you know, we help companies, we, we protect companies, right? Um, and, you know, if you think of, and Shiv cut me off if I'm, you know, if here it becomes a little bit too my promo what we do, but I think it, it, it does matter, like kind of what kind of stuff we do. So if you're thinking about sending files and you need them to, to go in an encrypted fashion, we do that. Um, organizations are worried about ransomware. They're worried about phishing. You know, we help organizations with that. Um, organizations are worried about domain impersonation. You know, we, we can help with those types of things. Um, what about all those, those devices on your network? You know, are, are, are some of those compromised? We, we help with that. So ethical hacking, you know, I could go on and on. I won't because I don't want to bore you, Shiv. But, <laughs> um, but that's the kind of stuff we do, right? Cybersecurity, software and services. Um, you know, organizations come to us because they, they've got to get protected. And, and that's not entirely how you guys started, right? So when we started working together, this was a few years ago, and you guys were a much smaller business and you were backed by TA and still are, I believe. And, and yep. you've grown significantly over time. And so back then you were help systems more recently, you've rebranded to Fortra, but talk yep. about how the purpose and the mission and the message and the positioning of the company has evolved over time as you've grown. Yeah. Good point. Um, so the company we've been around for like 40 years, right. And, and the company got started really helping organizations on the AS400 or the IBMI or the I-Series, they've changed kind of their name over the years. Um, we, we were phenomenal with systems management. And then probably, I'm going to say 18-ish years ago, we got into securing IBMI. And we did such a good job on systems management and securing that customers said, hey, in my environment here, I've got plenty of IBMI, but I got all sorts of other stuff. I've got Linux, I've got Unix, I've got Windows. Could you help us in some of those other areas? So we expanded our offering into automation and security solutions in those other areas. And then, as you mentioned, a handful of years ago, our customers were saying, security is keeping us up at night. We're worried. We've got problems all over the place. We like working with you. You know, what else do you have? So, you know, not surprisingly, we sit down and say, what could we make or, you know, or what could we go acquire? And so we um, set off to acquire a number of cybersecurity uh, software companies uh, that fit our portfolio beautifully. So now, you know, fast forward a handful of years, we are a leading cybersecurity provider. We've put together uh, really the best uh, in the business, we feel, um, of cybersecurity solutions. And, and that journey has been pretty crazy because it's happened in a very short period of time, right? You've gone from being, let's say, a few hundred million dollars to a multi-billion dollar business with thousands of employees. So talk yeah, about- We're like an $800 million business right now. Yeah. But yeah, we've grown. I know when I stepped in here, I think the marketing team was 20-ish. I think we're about 130 now. I think we were 100 million when I started. We're 800 million now. So yeah, the growth has been 
significant. significant. And enterprise value-wise, it's obviously significantly more than that. So right. talk, talk about the, the planning around that because it's one thing to you know, decide, are we going to buy or build this thing or increase our product offering? How did you go about identifying those opportunities and then uh, integrating them into your core business? And then how did your marketing organization in particular evolve over that period? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, we were lucky to have a lot of really smart people around here. Um, and one of those is a guy by the name of Scott Cole, and he leads up our M&A activity. Um, and he works hand in hand with our CEO, Kate Bullseth, and CFO, Matt Reck. And these guys are really good at looking at companies and saying, let's take a look at the software. Let's take a look at the customer base. Uh, could we grow this company and could together together could we grow this company and they look at culture quite a bit so if we if we look at a company if they've got phenomenal software they've got great growth um, you know a good amount of uh, customer uh, traction if we don't think there's a culture fit we'll, we'll walk away because you know it sounds cliche but you know Shiv it's like it's, it's so much about the people right who you're working with day in day out um, can you get along with these people? Can, can you sit down and, and, and really develop a strategy together? So, you know, I've been lucky to work with people, like I, like I said, with Scott and Kate and Matt and many, many others who take a look at these companies and say, hey, we think this is a phenomenal organization. We think there's great growth ahead for this company. By, by putting it into the Fortra portfolio, we've got an even stronger offering. And, you know, a lot of times, our customers would say, hey, we could use data loss pr protection. So when we bring that into the portfolio, we have a captive audience already, if that makes sense. It, it does. It does. And, and I guess that's like the corporate dev side and then identifying the targets. But at some point, you actually end up acquiring a lot of these businesses. And some of them are really large companies as well, right? You talked a, a few, about a few of them, but companies like Alert Logic and Digital Guardian that in, in and of themselves are are massive businesses, uh, some yeah. of them north of 100 million. And so That's right. it's almost like digesting this huge organization and trying to figure out how to not break things and also scale and capture the investment thesis. That's a part of that transaction. So on in terms of your organization, as it's grown over time, how have you gone about integrating and, and, and bringing those organizations into the fold so that you're still creating enterprise value? Yeah. So, you know, we have a playbook, but the playbook changes, right? And, and, and you, you integrate 15, 20 different companies and they're never all the same. Um, so it, it's a long process. Um, like I said, we, we've got a playbook. Uh, we want to, we want to, first of all, uh, make sure that the people who are part of Fortra understand the mission, understand what we're about and understand how that acquired company fits in. So that's really important because, uh, you know, people want to wake up and feel like they're part of something. And um, so, you know, take Digital Guardian. Hey, we acquired you guys because we, we have we think there's tremendous uh, market potential for DLP within our customer base um, and throughout the market in general. We think together we, we can do great things. Um, so as long as they understand that value and how they fit in, they, they get pretty excited. Um, and then in marketing, 
we look at, okay, not only have we acquired this great company with great tech and great customers, but we got so much expertise. It's, it's really cool, right? Suddenly, you know, you, you meet all these new friends and they've got expertise, whether it's in threat intelligence or device management. And then from a marketing standpoint, then, you know, you, you, you meet great content people, great web experts, people who really know ABM, people who really know product marketing. Uh, and so in, in many cases, what we've done is we have sort of centers of excellence and Shiv, you guys have worked with us quite a bit. You know, we have sort of a designated web performance team that serves all the different product lines. We have uh, a corporate communications team and PR team and things like that, that serve these different product lines. Um, so if we acquire a company and we see, Hey, there's tremendous talent in design PR, uh, marketing ops, web, then, you know, we tend to move those people into those roles uh, and they service the company, the product line they came from, but also others. And so a lot of times that's cool for people because they say, I've got a broader world now. So if I'm uh, a web performance expert and I'm working on SEO, I'm working on CRO, um, I get to work with the people that I've grown up with from the acquired company, but also others. And, and now I'm not the only web performance expert, but I work on a team with, you know, 10 and we get to share notes. Yeah. And let's expand on that a little bit because the center of expertise is something that I think you guys do really well. Um, and a lot of organizations are trying to grow to the scale where you are already are. And so how, Go into the details of how the team is actually structured. You mentioned web performance and corporate comms. Like, what are all the centers of expertise? And then what are the product-specific teams working on? And what are those distinctions? Yeah, cool. Um, you know, again, you know, not to get cliche, but a lot of these teams, they, they, they work well because we've just got just really amazing people uh, in those teams. So let's talk web for a second. So we've got an established web team run by an amazing woman whose name is Kara Zank. You've worked with her, Shiv. Um, Kara sees the world that she's got her web dev folks, then she's got her performance people. And what she does with that is those people wake up every day and they're looking at traffic. They're looking at primary CTAs. Uh, you know, they're looking at keyword management, conversion rate optimization, all of that. The product line teams knock on Kara's door and say, hey, you know, this, I think we need to increase traffic or we're not getting as many primary CTAs as we feel we need to, to, to move down funnel, uh, help us. And so, you know, that web is probably the most important of those teams. Uh, does that make sense? It does. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And is this happening across the board with all the different centers of expertise? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, marketing operations. We have a really good demand gen team run by, you know, Jenna and Jenna Burrow and, and Sarah Prudham. Uh, so the demand gen center of excellence is, you know, they're looking at ABM, they're looking at paid media, and they are really sort of in an in-house agency. So if I'm a product line person, I'll, I'll knock on their door and say, hey, you know, I think there's an opportunity to um, take some of these accounts in our ICP 
from this segment of the business, put it into our ABM platform, and then push some ads and maybe give some of these intent signals or web signals to our to our salespeople, and they they help coordinate that, they help manage that. Um, so we always, when we're building out these teams, so you talked about scale, we're building out the web team, the the demand gen team, the PR team, design team, we're always looking at ratios. Like, can we support these product lines? Because these product lines come in and they say, I want my design now, I want my PR now, I want my analyst relations now, I want demand gen, I want web, I want all this stuff. And so we've got to, we've got to have enough people on those teams and they have to uh, have the skill level to really make an impact. And I think one of the, the coolest things is they're always sharing, right? So we have a lot of brunch and learns and lunch and learns and, hey, what have you found from this product line? You know, we're doing this with G2. Oh, we hadn't done that. Cool. Let's try that. Or we're doing this with Sixth Sense. Oh, I should try that with the, with these other product lines. Or, hey, we talked to How to SaaS about some cool things to do with landing pages, make them more consistent with our paid search ads. Oh, cool. Yeah, let's let's roll that out on ours, too. So they're always talking to each other within the center of excellence to to get these little tips, um, you know, what's working, what's not, and then rolling it out to the product line teams. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Um, one of the challenges or or things that needs to be figured out in a, in a dynamic like that, and I would love your insight on this, is how are you prioritizing one good idea versus another good idea, especially when you have so many different product lines? How many product lines are you at now? It's like 40. I don't, I don't know the exact number, but it's got to be a well, lot. We kind, of, we kind of categorize it into about eight or nine. But, and then you know, there's a lot products. of products. Yeah. 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 And you've but, helped us on a number of different products, but yeah. Yeah, right. And so there's so many different business areas and then products within each. And then there's revenue targets for each of those business units and, and products. But then you have these centers of expertise and there's only so much bandwidth. So how are you going about prioritizing those against each other and focusing the team on the right thing at any given moment? Yeah, that's that's always the challenge, right? I mean, I, I remember a, a R&D guy years ago told me, you know, we can do anything, but we can't do everything. And so I, I quote him all the time because in marketing, I feel we can do anything, but we can't do everything. So we, we ruthlessly prioritize, um, you know, you, not all product lines are created equal, not all projects are created equal. And so, um, those product lines that have the highest potential for growth are going to get more attention from our web experts, our demand gen experts, um, and you know PR, AR, design. Uh, another center of excellence that I that I, I failed to mention earlier has been just a phenomenal lever of growth for us is our outside North America team. So, you know, oftentimes that's called the international team, but if you're them, they're not international. That's just where they are, right? And, and so um, a lot of those folks are in are in Europe. We have some people down in, in Argentina and they're really taking those product line stories and pushing them out in their markets. In some cases, you know, in many cases, localizing um, and and yeah, it's all about prioritizing. So we take a look at, OK, this year of all the different product lines we have, uh, you know, which ones are we looking to grow 25 percent? Well, guess what? They're going to get a lot of help. Uh, from the shared services, which ones are looking at single digit growth, they're going to get some help, but not as much. So it, it's all about bookings. It's all about bookings targets. 100%. Right. 
and working your back. And so that's where your role really comes in, because I would imagine to get this right, you have to be very closely um, connected with your CEO and CFO and board to know what is the plan for the year? What are we working towards? And you're bringing that information to the team and that helps the prioritization process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just have to be aligned, right? And, and you know, you, you, you drop a plan. I mean, we all do this. We drop a plan in November, December and say, okay, 2023, we're going to go do this. And then, you know, after the first quarter, you say, okay, a lot of these things are pretty cool. They're working. Some of them kind of turned into crap. Uh, let, let's pivot a little bit. Or, hey, we didn't anticipate this particular market to take off. Should we scale more? Should we add more there? Or this area is struggling. Should we have a little help there? So, you know, there are times where we pretty quickly pivot and say, hey, we need more hands on deck over here because either tremendous market opportunity or, you know, a, a little bit of a slump. So, yeah, I mean, I'm always talking. I was just, you know, we had our international uh, sales guy here yesterday and we were talking about how to prioritize in, in Europe, Latin America, Asia Pacific, et cetera. And so those numbers that are being discussed at, let's say, a senior or executive leadership team level or a board level, is that being shared with the internal team as well so that they clearly understand what they're working towards? Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, the way we get pretty geeky about it, I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm sure this is music to your ears, too, knowing you. But, um, you know, we start out with these targets. And, and so I'll get a little mathy here for a moment. But, you know. So we started with Target. Let's say that, you know, this, this product line has a $20 million target this year to go get $20 million of new logo. Great. So then we say, okay, of the 20 million, how much has marketing historically contributed in terms of marketing sourced business? And we say, just for simple math, let's say, well, of the 20, um, you know, history would indicate that marketing can go do, can go find 10 and, and my sales guys would be like, yeah, you, you know, you're not doing the 10. You're, you know, you're warming up the 10, whatever. Um, but, you know, marketing can go with the interacting with the market. We, we feel marketing can go contribute, you know, 10 million to that. And then we just walk it back and we say, okay, for 10 million, we know we win about one in three deals. So we're going to need enough deals to put 30 million in the pipeline. And if our average ASP is X, we know we sell about one in four. Uh, uh, we set, we, you know, we go backwards from the win to the SQL to the MQL to the lead. And then we say, okay, to go get this many leads in MQLs, we got to do this much in paid search, this much in organic. We're going to go to these events. We're going to run these webinars. We're going to do affiliates. We're going to do G2, you know, you name it. And this is our kind of program to go get those number of leads that would yield that amount. So That'll eventually yeah. help us hit that target. Right. So long, long answer to a short question is everyone should have, everyone in marketing has the bookings target, you know, on their right. monitor. But what are we trying to achieve? And, and in terms of the targets themselves, how active, because what you just described there is almost like a, like reverse engineering from the forecast, right? But yeah. one of the things that we see with our clients is that sometimes you have this top-down forecast that's almost done like this math exercise at a board level and done in spreadsheets. And then you get to the product line level or, or a particular channel, and it's not even possible to generate that much pipeline based on uh, the constraints of a particular business. So 
how actively are you guys involved in the actual creation of those targets to inform the, the board or the CFO? Like, here's what's potentially possible for 2023 or 2024 based on what we're seeing. Yeah, so so what we do is, I would say the, the answer to that is sort of a triangulation of the, you know, the sales people are the ones who are out there day in, day out, speaking with the market. They've got a good sense of, of what kind of traction we have. We also have a tremendous uh, product development and product management team. And you've probably talked to John Gransrich before. He's really good at that. So his team in product management, they'll say, you know, here's the addressable market. Here's how much we think we have of it with the products. Here are some new features we're coming out with, or here are some bundles we're coming out with that we think can drive uh, growth. So then, you know, marketing looks at all sorts of data that we have to say, you know, so, so marketing sales and product get together and say, you know, with all the data we have, we think these are realistic targets. And, and then there's always a little negotiation, you know, because the CEO and the CFO want more. Um, but, you know, we've been lucky that by putting together strong growth targets, but are also realistic and backed by some data that, you know, we, we've had good success. You know, do we crush it all the time? Of course not. We don't. We, we absolutely don't. But um, we definitely know what our targets are and, and, and we all are joined together to say, I, I think we can go hit this. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the people that you have to be in these negotiations with, because I know Kate, I know TA, and I know all those folks and um, they're great partners to be in the room with. So how important has that been to get this right? Because in other cases we've seen where just unrealistic expectations are put on, on companies and that leads to very bad results. Even if somebody did a good job or rolled out the right programs and work within the budget that they've got, like there's just not enough of an understanding of what was actually realistic. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think again, um, we've been really lucky to work with some very, very, I'll, I'll call them cool uh, PE firms. I mean, cool in that they're just so supportive, you know, now, are they demanding? You're darn right they are, and they should be. They've got every right to be, but they're very, very supportive. Um, they want to help us grow. They want to help us succeed. They want to help us do it the right way too, right? Um, so, you know, if we feel that, uh, you know, a particular company isn't a good fit or a particular person isn't a good fit and, and that person needs to be uh, removed, these, these organizations, these investors have been very, very supportive. Um, and so when we go to them and we say, for example, you know, a year ago, we went to the board and said, we want to change the name of the company. And I was expecting to get, you know, grilled like a fat hamburger, like, you know, show me everything. And they were extremely supportive. I think they saw the vision. I think they saw the opportunity to reposition this company no longer as help systems, which was a tremendous name for a different era of the company, but as a new company called Fortress. So you know, we've just been lucky. They've, they've been very, very supportive. I don't think they've ever, you know, given us a target that we close the door and say, holy crap, what are we going to do now? Right. And, and so that's a, the rebrand. I'm glad, glad you brought that up because I, I was going to ask, like, what if there's an initiative that's outside the budget where you're like, there's a big initiative that we want to invest in that we need funding for that ROI is maybe not completely clear on. We have some idea that it might work, but maybe it won't. And so, how does that process go? And maybe we use the rebrand as the example there to, to give that, give details on it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, 
you know, that's one of the exciting parts of our, about marketing and, and I would say a nimble business. We develop our plans, we execute our plans, we measure the heck out of those and, and make changes. But, you know, things come up, um, you know, tremendous opportunity, whether it's with a new channel partner, a new technology partner or a new market that we hadn't planned on. And so um, I, you know, in my stint here, I've been really lucky to work with CEOs who are super supportive. You know, Kate Bolseth, I mentioned earlier, uh, Chris Heim before her, um, you know, they're not shy about saying, put together a proposal and, and let's, let's take a look at it. And then we've taken those proposals to the board. And, you know, in many cases, the board um, has, has approved those. So, you know, in-year changes are, are fine. So the rebrand is one of those. Yeah. So we sat down, you know, about a year and a half ago saying, hey, we're a different company today. Are we, is it Help Systems 2.0 or is it something else? Um, we hadn't budgeted for this. So we did a bunch of research with customers, with employees, the market. We hired, you know, a couple of really good firms to take a look at this. We presented to the board and we said, this is going to be a distraction because, you know, the marketing team was going to do all of this. Now the marketing team is going to do most of that, but they're also going to be doing this. Um, and it's going to, it's going to cost some money because, you know, the larger you are, the more like open heart surgery it is because, you know, it's, it's, it's a culture change, but it's also just a huge inventory of stuff that's got to be swapped yep. down. Invoices, product UI. Signage. Sure. <laughs> Signage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The big sign on the side of the building over here. Right. Um, it, it just things creep up even today, almost a year later, like, oh, we forgot about that. Um, but, you know, we get 20 some websites that we need to reskin. So it's not for the faint of heart. It's not easy, but. You know, we presented to them. It was spring of 2022. And like I said, I thought it was going to be, oh, man, that this is going to be rough. But they were extremely supportive. They understood the vision. And um, now they wanted updates, right? Like they wanted to know every month how we're how we're doing. Are we going to have a track and a plan and how much had we spent? And um, but, yeah, I know it's, that's been a, a, a supportive. They were very supportive. It's been a good initiative. And I'll say it was cool, like we did it for the market, right? We wanted to go to the market as a different company, a different brand. Um, it's been well-received by prospects, customers, uh, partners. The thing I didn't count on was employees are stoked about it too, you know, because I think it gives employees, especially if you've come from an acquired company, yep. you feel part of a part of a different mission now. So that's been kind of a nice Right, it kind of resets the organization. So. Yeah. I think that's great. And we, we talked about this before you went on this and you know, oh, my, yeah. you know, yeah. my, <laughs> that was what you get to say, <laughs> you know, my take on rebrands in general, I'm like very against it. And I even told you about not going on this journey at the time, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And I, mean, I, I was even inspiration to a blog you wrote. I, mean, <laughs> yeah, that's... I, did, I did. And then one of the, one of the drawings on rebrands came from that conversation, but yeah. uh, I, I will say that out of all the ones that we have seen that this was, the best by far that in terms of a rollout of a rebrand and um, and in terms of potential outcomes that can come from that. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, I, I think it would be good for, especially if there's platform companies listening or PE investors that have platforms, rebranding is sometimes essential to tell a broader story. And yeah. there's two benefits and, and maybe you can touch on both. One is the telling the broader story to the market. So maybe you can drive more pipeline 
And I think the secondary benefit, which doesn't get talked about, I think you mentioned this to me in a conversation, is that the, the platform itself can have a higher valuation if it seems like it's more of a unified platform. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think to that latter point, for sure. I mean, it, it's tough. You know, I went into the board saying, hey, if I'm asking for a million dollars more in paid search, here's what I'm projecting we're going to get for leads, for MQLs, SQLs, and close one. I mean, that's cut and dry. And if I, if I don't hit it, you know, right. it's me. With this, it's different. Um, I can give you anecdotes about, you know, customer, you know, warm and fuzzy feelings. They like the color. They like the logo. Cool. Um, but ROI is a little trickier. But what we're doing, you know, I talked earlier about all the, the great software that we've combined and all the great expertise we have in this company. We're putting it on a common platform, not to distinguish from the platform for the company itself. So customers will be able to go online in a SaaS model and pick their different uh, security solutions. In order for that, I mean, that's a lot of work to do. Um, that's gotta be from a single provider with a really strong name. It can't be, well, this is the digital guardian component and this is the Vera component and this is the digital defense component. Here's the Cobalt Strike component. Now those are still product line names and they'll live on for a long, long time because they're very strong. Um, but we needed to have a common platform called, and the platform is called Fortra. And you know we'll be taking that to market um, gradually over time. So um, it's a huge endeavor. Uh, I, again, I was lucky to work with you know, you know, Courtney and Molly who, and Marissa, who are just phenomenal on, you know, they set up brand champions throughout the companies. We had representatives from every single department take inventory of where help systems appears and then figure out how much it would cost or take in, t in sort of, in terms of time to, to redo that. So, um, you know, as we sit here, you know, nine ish, 10 months later, I would say the ROI is there in that we're seeing more and more conversations with customers and prospects about combined solutions, right? It, and so we're leading with Fortra. I said at the time we need to major in Fortra and minor in, you know, Digital Guardian or Alert Logic or Terranova or whatever. Uh, so we're seeing a lot more conversations. One thing that's kind of booming for us right now are bundles. So I've got this product, I could tack on this product to make it even more secure in, in my supply chain or whatever. Um, so those are working really well. I think the branding as one uh, unified company really helps that. Um, and then, you know, down the road, if, if that can help uh, a valuation that, you know, we are a more unified platform, um, you know, I think that's really positive. Yeah, I, I think you said a, a magic word there, which is just bundling. And two companies jumped to mind as one is Microsoft and as the other is Adobe. And we think about Adobe, you have the creative cloud, you have the marketing cloud and Microsoft, you have Dynamics and, and they're all, all these different suite of solutions that they've got. And they're able to bundle it together because it kind of feels like one company. And yeah. I think that looks very different when you when you look more like a holding company. And it's like, well, what's the relation of this business to this other business? So to be able to tell that story over time with bundling, you would have a higher ROI. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, just even Microsoft Office that so many of us use every day, you know, those they products feel the same. They act the same and it feels like a unified solution. And, and that's what we're we're driving toward for sure. Same with right. Adobe. Absolutely. Right. 
That's fantastic. So I think that's a good place to end this conversation. I mean, learned a bunch and obviously we can talk a lot more, but I think for the audience, I think this was super, super great to hear what a sophisticated marketing organization looks like. Every time we meet a platform, I always say, go look at Fortra, look at what they've done. And that's kind of what a good vision for a platform company looks like on the marketing side. So uh, I hope the audience got this, uh, got that out of this conversation. Uh, if there is somebody listening who's interested in security software, how, how can they find Fortra and, and all the different solutions? Yeah, Fortra.com. Go to Fortra.com. And, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if you can't find what you're looking for, shame on me. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. Somewhere along the line, the rebrand messed up. But <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, it's, it's always good talking to you. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Likewise, we'll share all the links in the show notes. But thanks for doing this. Okay, cool. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before you take off, just a few requests from our side. Number one, if you enjoyed today's content and want more of it, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Number two, if you are in the market for marketing strategy consulting services, due diligence services, or fractional CMO services, please visit our website at www.howtosass.com and schedule a consult today. And number three, if you haven't already, grab a copy of my book, Post Acquisition Marketing. It's available on Apple Books, on Amazon, and any bookstore that you can find online. Get a copy because it walks through the framework that we take all of our clients through and it'll definitely add value to your business. And that's it for today. We'll see you guys next time.